If you have a Bible, would you turn with me this morning to 1 John chapter 4? And I'm going to take the next couple of weeks and we're going to talk about the love of God and uh, what the love of God actually means for us. You know, the Bible tells us this. It says, we love him because he first loved us. And so for us to really properly love him, as Keisha even said, we want to love him better. We've got to really understand what his love means for us. And his love for us is not a static emotion. His love is actually a force coming in our direction, moving in our direction constantly. So I want to talk to you uh, today about how God's love is discipline. God's love is discipline. I thought we would start with discipline. I thought we would get the uh, most uh, fearful thing out of the way. Um, but God, in his discipline, actually is showing us and proving to us that he loves us. I want us to go to First John. We're going to read First John first, and then we're going to jump into Hebrews chapter 12. So First John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 7. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so if you have another one, it's okay. You can follow along. Uh, the Bible says this. I think they've got the New King James up on the screen, so I told them New Living, but I will jump into the New King James so that you are not all over the map. Here we go. New King James, verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifested toward us, that he sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he gave, he has given us his spirit. And we've seen and testify that the father has sent the son as a savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. It's that simple. And we have known and believed that the love that God has for us, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this way, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because he is, so are we, because as he is, so are we in this world. This is key right here. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear because fear involves torment. Most translations use the word punishment. You see the NLT there? It uses the word punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. Can you say amen? Amen. Well, Father, we pray over these next few moments you would speak very clearly to us about your love and what discipline has to do with your love for us. Help us to see you for who you really are. Help us to not bring in our past experiences with, with what we know and think love is, but let us see you for who you are, for you are love. You don't just love, you are love. You can't stop loving us because you didn't choose to love us. You love us because love is who you are. You love the whole, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We thank you for that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. 
Again, I just told you God's love is not static. It's not a static emotion. It's not even really uh, an emotion. It's not based in emotion. It's not based in how you look. It's not based uh, on the color of your skin. It's not based on your history. It's not based on what you have done. It's not based on how tall you are, how short you are. It's not based on any of those things. God loves because love is who God is. It's not an emotion he feels. It's a part of his nature. It's who he is. And so when I say something like God cannot stop loving you, I can say that with confidence because God never started loving you. He didn't start, he didn't stop, he can't stop. Why? Because love is who God is. It's what he does. It's his default <laughs> position. God, how do you feel about me? I love you. Well, well, why? It's because it's who I am. It's what I do. I love. It's not a choice I make based on how good you are or how good you were, how, who your parents are or where you came from. It's, it's what I do. And because I love you, I'm, my love is, again, it's not a static emotion. It's a force moving towards you. That means my love does and accomplishes things in your life. It doesn't just sit still. It actually stands up. The Bible says that Jesus himself, he left heaven to come to earth. His love is constantly moving towards us. See, the Bible is not a story of our love for God. It's a story of God's love for us. It's a story of God's love constantly moving towards us positionally. In the Old Testament, we see it in spaces and in, in, in phrases, and then it's coming and it's moving. It's all coming to this climactic moment when Jesus comes on the scene and he demonstrates the love of God for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He demonstrated God's love. His love is on full display. If you ever wonder how much God loves you, just look at the price that he paid for you. How many of you would say that Jesus is the ultimate price? He's the ultimate gift. He's the, he's the, he's the max of what God could do. It's the max of how God could show that he loves us. So it's not static. It doesn't sit still. For God so loved the world that he gave. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, it even tells us that we overcome through his love. His love is what causes us to overcome. We are more than overcomers through through him who loved us. Like it's, it's a force that moves in our life. We just read 1 John 4. It says first, perfect love, right? Casts out all fear, love, God's love does something significant in our life. It moves. It's constantly moving. And one way that it moves in our life is it moves in our life through discipline. Discipline. And I want to talk to you about discipline because I want you to understand there is a difference in God's eyes between discipline and punishment. There's a difference. Even in the natural, there's, there's truly a difference between I guess in our minds, discipline can be a part of punishment, but when it comes to God, now that Jesus has, does, has died for our sins and suffered our punishment, we are not under the punishment of God anymore. Jesus has been punished for us. So for God to punish his children, then God would have to remember them, first of all. The Bible says he doesn't remember our sins. He can't punish what he doesn't remember. 
and, and if, he, if he was going to punish you for them, he'd, first of all, he'd have to remember them, and then he would have to hold them against you. But the Bible tells us he doesn't hold our sins against us. And then if he were going to punish us for our sins, not only would he have to remember them and hold them against us, but he, have, he would have to overlook the sacrifice of Jesus, his son, on the cross, and on top of that, restore the curse of the law. So in order for God to punish us for our sins, he would literally have to overdo, overturn, reverse in full what Jesus has done. Are you thankful that Jesus has taken the full punishment for your sins and my sins? And so when the Bible tells us in Hebrews that God disciplines those he loves, he's not talking about punishment. Some people believe that God sins disease and sins, sickness and sins, pain into our life to punish us for our sins, to make us pay for what we have done. But I've got good news for you this morning. Jesus has already paid for what you did, you are doing and you will do. There is no punishment. There is discipline. Discipline has everything to do with character development and the future. In other words, we naturally, we, 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 if we, if you spank your children, I'm not going to get into a to spank or not to spank argument. That's, that's your choice. I'm not the government. I'm not going to tell you what to do with your kids today. But if you choose to spank your kids or you choose not to spank your kids, that's up to you. But if you choose to spank your kids, what you have to understand is that spanking is punishment. It is not the fullness of discipline. So I'm just here to tell you, if you spank your kids, that's fine. But understand this, if all you do is spank your kids, all you are teaching them is that they deserve punishment for their wrong, and you're not disciplining them into their future. Can somebody help me out a little bit this morning? Because if all you do is hit them when they do something bad, then you're teaching them a punishment mentality. And that is not the mentality they need to understand as a follower of Jesus. They need to understand that Jesus has paid the price for our sins. Now I need to be disciplined. Some people are like, how do I discipline without spanking? Well, God does it with us. Not again. Do not misunderstand. Don't leave church today. If you leave church today and get in your car and you say, Pastor Robbie told us not to spank our kids, then you miss the whole message. I did not say that. I'm just, I'm, 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 just, I'm just telling you that if all you do is spank your kids, that is not truly discipline. All right. No, I want to explain to you why. Because most of the time you spank your kids, you spank your kids because you're mad. Because if you waited about 24 hours and prayed, you probably wouldn't have spanked them for spilling the milk. All right, come on, God help us this morning. I'm just trying to help you. But Hebrews 12 tells us that he disciplines his children, that he chastens the ones he loves. And, and, and in many translations, the, the Bible there uses, the King James Version literally says scourges. And that word scourges means to whip, to flog. That's what it means. And so I looked at that for forever, and I could not, I could not bring myself to this 
to this place where I could see God as having this big belt in heaven. And every time I did something wrong, he, he was hitting me with it. And then God began to reveal to me what he was actually talking about in Hebrews. So when the Bible says that he scourges every son that he receives, he's actually quoting the Old Testament. But the verse and context are in the context of pain and suffering. So what God is saying to us that he now, because we are now sons, Jesus has paid the price for our sins, the scourging that comes in our life, the pain that comes in our life, he's not whipping us with a whip from heaven. He is actually using our pain to develop some sort of purpose in our life. He's actually taking our pain and creating purpose out of it. Is anybody thankful for a God that takes our pain and creates purpose out of it? It's like Romans 8 says, for all things work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purpose. So if pain comes into my life, when it comes into my life, it immediately becomes employed by God for my good doesn't even know it. My pain doesn't even know it. It has no idea that when it walks into my life, it actually becomes employed by God to work out some sort of result in my life. God isn't going to waste my pain. All right. So Hebrews 12, it, it tells us that he disciplines the ones he loves. And then it tells us that if we are even, if we are sons and daughters, he will discipline us. Because if he doesn't discipline us, that means we're illegitimate and we are not his. So I want to talk to you about why God's discipline comes into our life and what God's discipline produces in our life. Nobody likes the idea, the thought of discipline. Nobody likes it. The word discipline actually in the New Testament doesn't just mean to reprove or correct. It actually means to nurture. It's that... It's that mom who comes along and tells her husband, you've been talking too mean to the kids. Let me just hug on them a little bit. It means to nurture. That's what, that's what it means, to nurture. So here's what God's discipline does for us. First thing I see throughout scripture is that God's discipline actually helps us to see the destructive nature of our sin and opens up a flood of his mercy into our life. It allows us. So what discipline does, this is what's so great about God's discipline, is God's discipline is not like ours, that it's reactive. Okay? We're sitting at the house. We're sitting at the table eating dinner. I'm just gonna give you, this is, a, this is an example of what has happened at, at my dinner table. I know yours is calm and you got your kids sit down and, None want to leave early and none of them getting in a fight with their siblings at the dinner table. That never happens in your house. So I'll just talk to you about my house because my house is a train wreck sometimes. So let's just talk about my house. So we're sitting. Monica has worked really hard on this meal. And, and it's one of those meals that, you know, not all of our kids like. And so first of, first of all, one of them comes in and they see it and they're like, oh, that again, that, really that. So I'm like, sit down. You're going to eat it. I don't care what you like, this is my house, everybody else likes it, you're gonna eat the food. And then the other, one of the other kids chimes in like, yeah, exactly what dad said, you're always complaining about this. And I'm like, bro, I don't need your help to, I'll, I'm the parent, let me parent. Let, let me deal with so-and-so, okay? I'm not gonna give out names, because I don't, I'm gonna preserve their... <laughs> 
their reputation. <laughs> so we're like eating and the one that doesn't like it is just kind of sitting there and just like, you know, just kind of trying. I'm like, listen, you're going to finish that. You're going to finish all of it. Well, I don't like this. Listen, you're going to finish it. You need to eat. If you don't eat, you will die. <laughs> okay. Not just because you didn't eat, because <laughs> I will hurt you. Okay? And then the little one, I'll just throw him straight under the bus. That little guy, he, he, he just, he, he loves, he's like in potty word stage. So everything is the bathroom and one of the, you know, one of the things you do in the bathroom. And so now he's, now he's just talking crazy. And I'm like, listen, buddy, you need to sit down and eat your food. And then he throws something across the table at somebody else. And then, and then the, the, the one that's been quiet the whole time is like, listen, I don't need this drama in my life. Like, I'm already going through too much. They get up and leave and go to the bedroom. And then I'm like, I'm like honey, why don't you do something about the little boy? Well, he's your son. I'm like, well, he's, he's, hap he's more yours. You carried him in your stomach for nine months. Like, what are we even talking about? He, but besides, he's sitting beside you. Why don't you do something about it? Well, I've been with him all day. What are you going to do? And I'm like, Look, everybody shut up. This is dinner at my house. And by the time it's over, I'm sitting at the dining room table eating alone. Eating alone. That's how it goes. So needless to say, say, most of the disciplinary action that I think of in my time as a father has been reactionary. Because I didn't know what was coming. I just reacted to the situation. But here's the thing about God. He's the Alpha, the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He sees the end from the beginning. This is one thing I love about God. God cannot be disappointed. Why? How do you know that, Rob? Because God already knows what's going to happen. And to be disappointed is because you didn't know you thought it was going to turn out and it didn't turn out. But God is never disappointed. So when somebody looks at you and says, God's disappointed in you, no, he's not. He knew you were going to do that. And he actually prepared a way for you to restore everything that you would lose in that situation because he knew you were going to lose anyway. So he's already prepared. The Bible even says in every temptation, he's already made a way of escape. He knows what you're going to do. So he's already made a way out. And so when God disciplines us, he's, we're not sitting with him and all of a sudden we do something wrong and he reacts. No, he knew it was going to happen. He's not reactionary like we are. He doesn't lose it like us. Oh, that's it. I can't take it anymore. I've run out of grace. Wait, wait, hold up. To, to react like that, he would, he would have to undo everything Jesus has done. So what does God's discipline do? It helps us see the destructive nature of our sin. And guys, it's sin. It's not a character flaw. It's not an issue. It's not a heart problem. It's sin. And sin is separating us from God. The Bible tells us that. Not that God is separating himself from us. 
He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But sin separates us. It makes us feel as if God is at a distance. It makes us feel as if God is removed from us. He's not removed. We feel because of our sin where we have fallen short of God's mark as if we are removed from him. And discipline actually makes us feel closer. When it's done right, you know this, when you've disciplined, it's been rare, but when you've disciplined right in your house, it's actually led to a closer relationship with your children. But when we've, dis when we've disciplined wrong, it's pushed us away from our mom and dad, and it's pushed mom and dad away from us. But now, see, isn't it amazing? Isn't it an amazing thought that we could, we could be so wrong in our discipline and our kids think because of the way we discipline that we don't love them. But we it's not that we don't love them the same way we loved them before. It's just we don't know how to handle what they did. We don't know how to carry it like he knows how to carry what we did. We don't know how to, how to walk around with the weight of it. We don't, we don't know. We, and so we react and when we react, we do stuff wrong. And what it does when we do it wrong is it actually causes them to feel as if we don't love them. And so it separates. What God wants to do with discipline is actually draw us in. That's what God's discipline is doing for us. Is it's actually drawing us in. And that's why, that's, why, that's why the Bible in Hebrews was so clear about it. He said, listen, because these, the, he's talking to Jewish people who are undergoing a lot of persecution. Their lives are under threat because they are converting to Christianity. The, the, the religious of the day want them to be stoned and want them to be persecuted and want them to be outcasts. And they're suffering, they're losing family, they're losing inheritance. They're losing all types of things for the sake of Christ. And Jesus is is." is is teaching him through his, through his servants. He's in, in Hebrews, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, I know you're going through a lot. I know you're suffering a lot. I know you're going through a lot of pain, but listen, don't look at this as God distancing himself from you. It is actually him trying to draw closer to you. You are never closer to God than when you are suffering because you are never more like him than when you are experiencing pain. He said, I don't want you to misunderstand this pain. I don't want you to misunderstand this is, this is not from me, but I am using every bit of it. I will not let any part of it go unused. I will not let anybody hurt you and you not be restored. I will not let any, anybody take from you and it not be restored. I will not let anybody abuse you and it not be restored. Whatever I have allowed, you have to understand. I give double for your trouble. I, I, I make up the years that the locusts and the canker worm have eaten away. I make it up. Everything that has been taken from you, I will restore in this life and in the life to come. I'll do it. So discipline is actually, it's, it's revealing to us the destructive nature of our own desires. And then it opens up a flood of mercy in our lives. Proverbs 28 and 13, the Bible says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess them and turn from them, they will receive mercy. When discipline comes, it's a time for you to recognize, okay, God is, God is actually using this to deal with my life. See, here's the thing about God's discipline. He will not punish us 
for our sins, but he will allow the natural consequences of our actions to take place in our life. Woo! Somebody thought when they got saved, they weren't gonna go to jail, but <laughs> you, you misunderstood. No, if, if you sin, God will not make you pay the consequences for those sins as far as he is concerned. Jesus has paid that price, but if you steal, Jesus is not gonna keep you from going to prison because you stole. Can somebody say amen? I wish I was preaching to some prisoners right now because they understand that I was a Christian and I did that, or I, I did that and I'm saved and I'm still in prison. I'm still suffering the natural consequences for my actions. So what God does in his discipline is he's actually trying to protect us, not just from ourselves, but from the future consequences of what we will do. Don't get mad at God when he allows discipline to come in your life when pain comes into your life because God is actually trying to save you from future harm. We get so mad at the Ten Commandments. That's such strict legalism. No, it's not. It's keeping you out of jail. It's keeping you sane. It's keeping you from getting killed. <laughs> it's protection. God's discipline God's standard, it's, this discipline is saving you. It's not hurting you. It's saving your life. What, it, what does this discipline do? The Bible teaches us here in Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 and 6 that he disciplines the one he loves and he punishes every son he receives. What? He punishes every son he receives. So I thought, God, wait a second. If you don't punish, if if fear has to do with punishment, then what are you talking about? What God is doing, he is quoting Old Testament. And he's saying, this is how I operated in the Old Testament. And here in the New Testament, here under the New Covenant, you're experiencing what you would consider because of the way I used to deal with you as punishment. God used to punish. What he's saying now is this pain that you're experiencing is now the punishment is now looks that looked like that looks like punishment is now what I am using to draw out of you what I what I see in you. I'm using it. I don't have a giant belt up in heaven, big old switch up in heaven that I pick from a tree. Every time I see you do something wrong, I'm bopping you over the head with it. That's not the picture I want you to get. But you have to understand. The way I've dealt has always been, I've always punished for wrong action. I always have, but Jesus has come. He's taken the punishment. So then now that I don't punish you, how am I still going to reap in your life the result that comes from punishment? I'm gonna use this pain and this suffering that you're going through to produce the same result that punishing would produce in your life. I'm not whipping you from heaven. Life is beating you up enough and I'm gonna use it to teach you. Come on, somebody. To teach you. So he says, this is happening because you're sons. You're not illegitimate. You belong to me. And I do this because I love you. Punishment actually, or I'm sorry, discipline actually magnifies God's love for us. It provides evidence that we are his children. Remember Hebrews 12 and 8 says, if you are without discipline, 
which all received, and you are illegitimate children and not sons. It humbles us. Man, and how, do, how much do we need to be humbled? You know, you know it's the, the funny thing about life is that we can, we can go through life thinking we don't have to answer to anybody. You know, sometimes as we get older and we get into our jobs, maybe we have a boss or something like that, but as we get older, there's not a whole lot of, of, of uh, built-in accountability into our life. That's why, we have to, that's why we have to create accountability in our life. That's why we have to put in relationships in our life for people that are gonna hold us accountable to our actions because as we get a little older, we kind of, lo- we kind of lose those systems of accountability. We get out of school so there aren't any teachers and maybe some of us go, are still working, but really some, many of our bosses are not really holding us very accountable. Some of them are, but not, not many of them do. So we can almost think in our life that we're just, we don't really have to answer to anybody. And God comes along to remind us, hey, hold up, wait a second. You actually do have to answer to somebody. It's me. I still am in control. I'm still the almighty God. I still rule in the earth. I'm still, I'm still God. He reminds us that, oh, wait a second. I'm not in control of my life. I'm not in control of the outcomes in my life. I'm not in control. God is in control of my life. It's an amazing thing that we can think we're in control and then all of a sudden God does something and he reminds us, hey, take a seat. <laughs> hey, I just wanna prove to you that you, you don't have a handle on this. I just wanna show you that you aren't in control of this situation. I just wanna show you that I am the one who not only controls your life, I control the wind, I control the waves, I, control, I can control the weather, I can, I can put a president in place, I can put a dictator in place, I can put whoever I want in place. I just want you to understand I'm in control. Like I'm in charge. Now I don't need you to like it. Woo. It humbles us. He's teaching us. And then it makes us more like him. All of it comes. The goal of our faith, the goal of expressing faith in Christ is he says for us the goal is that we may be conformed into the image of his son. So his discipline comes into our life. It, Hebrews tells us it's for our profit. It's not to kill us. It's not to take us out. How does that profit us? It doesn't. It's for our profit. It's for our good. It's, it's so that we become more like him. It says that we become partakers of his holiness. And then it, the, the result is peace. The result is, we talked about rest last week. Probably should have talked about this first because if we respond correctly to discipline, we'll actually sleep better. The result is peace. We rest. God's discipline doesn't make me stay up at night. God's discipline does not cause unrest in my life. God's discipline leads to peace and profit. That's what it leads to. Don't you love that God isn't reactionary? Man, we've had some reactionary people in our life, right? 
I told you. <laughs> I've been reactionary in my life. I'm just thankful. The, the, the Bible says that the discipline of the Lord is perfect. And that's what this, what that means is this. When you think it's too harsh, it's not. When you think he's being too easy on somebody, he's not. It's perfect. And I know sometimes we look and we say, well, 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 I think because of what they did, they deserve. Uh, I think you should back off and let God deal with that person. Well, if, if, if he really wanted to fix them, then he, you don't know you. You don't want to get involved in that equation. That, that's, that's math outside your capability of understanding. His discipline is perfect. So in your life, he's never too harsh and he's never too easy. He's right. It's perfect. Sometimes if I had to apologize to my kids, oh yeah, this week, listen, the way dad acted, what I said, how I handled you, that just wasn't right and I'm sorry. Has God ever had to apologize for how he deals with us? Absolutely not. So this is what we can leave here knowing is that God loves us. Because God loves us, he will discipline us. And when God disciplines us, it's perfect. He's not trying to hurt you. He's not trying to kill you. He's actually trying to complete you. It's part of him sanctifying you so that you look more and more like him. Amen? Amen. Let's stand on our feet if we could this morning. Bible tells us here in 1 John 4, it says, okay, so if you've been loved by God, then you should love people the way God loves people. So I would, I would think that the way we need to respond to this message today is, is to repent for the times where we have not shown God's love the way we should have shown God's love. For the times when I have and you have reacted wrong and not loved the way God would want us to love. I have to repent for those times when I have tried to use my size, my voice, and my position as a way to get people to follow me. It's so quiet in here right now. I have to repent for those times that I have with my daughters or with my sons. I have used my size, my voice, and my position to get them to follow me. That's not how God, you, that's, that's not how God draws you. The Bible says that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. 
the reason we come back to God is not because he came at us and told us you're going to. It's because he stayed back. And he said, I love you no matter what you do. That's why we come back. I want to love better. I want to love like he's loved me. And I want to repent. I don't just want to say I'm sorry. I want to repent. I want to turn from my wicked way of parenting, of leading, of dealing and interacting with people and turn to God's way of lovingly leading people and drawing people with my goodness and drawing people with grace and drawing people with my kindness. Does anybody want to live like that? So just throw your hands up in the air if you would, if you're, if you're like me and say, Father, I just right now in the name of Jesus, I just, I thank you first of all that even in this sermon, you have been disciplining us and me. You've been showing me the error of my ways. You've been showing me the depth of my own sin and my own uh, desire. And you have, because I've been open and this, this body has been open to see where they've been wrong. You are actually now, the floodgates of your mercy are flowing in and through this place and forgiveness and repentance and healing and restoration are possible now because of repentance. Repentance is so powerful. It, it unlocks the floodgates of mercy. And God, our homes need the floodgates of mercy to open up. God, our marriages need the, the floodgates of mercy to open up. Our, our relationship with the people on our job, the floodgates of mercy need to be opened in Jesus' name. And so we repent, we call upon the Lord, and we ask you to heal us, and we ask you to restore us, and we ask you to set us in the way that we should go. We reject the way we have been doing and we say yes to your way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the church gave God some praise this morning. Come on, let's lift our voices. Let's clap our hands. God, we've been set right with you. We've been set right with you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said amen.